18 to 25. First Peter chapter 2, 18 to 25. So let me read it to you from the NIV. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating by doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. And this To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, wounds we have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So let's just invite the Lord to help us learn this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, this is a difficult, challenging passage, and so we just ask that we would be teachable, humble ourselves before your Holy Spirit as you teach us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, um, I'm really ringing. (laughs) Uh, Peter's dealing with issues that, you know, we don't necessarily relate to, um, like slavery, slaves who suffer, And Peter is specifically addressing Christian slaves who are facing some kind of suffering in relationship to their masters. Now, none of us are slaves, at least I hope not. And so how do you connect to something like this? How does this passage speak to us? That's the question. You know, after all, the issues maybe, uh, you know, slaves back then had to endure with was much more than not getting their coffee break one day or not getting your raise that was promised to you immediately or, you know, not getting enough hours that were promised to you. I'm not trying to make light of those challenges because they are challenges. But I'm just saying Peter is writing to a piece to Christian slaves who lived in a world that is very different from our own. So we have to kind of unpack that and then draw out the principles that are relevant for us today. And so we have to understand that in the first century, uh, the world was very different. So first of all, in the first century Roman Empire, um, it is estimated that one-third of the Roman world were slaves. Uh, That's a huge number, isn't it? That's a gigantic number. So um, I've read that that's approximately 60 million people of that time were slaves. So it is possible, I'm just guessing here, right, that if the churches that 
Peter was writing to represented society, it's possible that one-third or more of those in the congregation were slaves, right? Maybe more. Now, we have to be careful because we usually define slavery according to uh, the brutal enslavement of African slaves in American history, right? That's just our idea of slavery, but we have to make sure that we don't impose that on first century Roman Empire slavery because it's slightly different. Slavery in the Roman world was not race-based, okay? That's that's a big one. It's not race-based. And in fact, slaves were, in the Roman Empire, were permitted, for example, to have an education. In the Roman Empire, um, people became slaves in uh, various ways. Uh, Sometimes they were captured in war, and they became slaves. Uh, Sometimes it was through kidnapping, or people were simply born into a slave household. That's all they knew. Uh, Those who suffered economic hardship might have chosen voluntarily to sell themselves into slavery, in a sense to get a job, right? And just to get food on the table, they're going to sell themselves into slavery. Uh, Many slaves had miserable jobs, like working in horrible mines. Um, But, on the other hand, other slaves actually served as doctors and teachers and managers and musicians. In fact, these slaves had slaves of their own. So it's very interesting. But one thing remained the same. doesn't matter what slavery it is in any culture. It always seems to be the same. Slaves were under the control of their masters. Right? So whether it's Roman slavery or African slavery, they were under the control of their masters in some way. And so slaves in the Roman Empire were not truly independent. The slave could not simply quit their job and find another job and go on to Indeed and say, okay, there's another job there, I'll just waltz on to there. That just couldn't be done. There was no employment insurance. There was no social security that we enjoy today. Slaves could suffer brutal treatment at the hands of their masters and owners. Children born into slavery actually didn't belong to their parents, but the masters. And so slaves had no legal rights, and so the masters could punish them by beating them, or torturing them, or abuse them. And in some cases, slaves could purchase their freedom through the help of a kind master, but I've read that this was more or less available only to slaves in urban areas, but most slaves had really no hope of gaining their freedom. So with this in the background, we turn to the slaves that Peter is addressing. These are those who have put their faith in Jesus, which is awesome, right? But they have a predicament, don't they? They have a challenge. And so the predominant issue is about how to persevere as a follower of Jesus. And also, as we talked about last week, this goes with last week, is what does it mean to be a Christian witness as a Christian slave? Can you be a witness for Jesus as a slave when you're facing unjust suffering and mistreatment? 
So these are the challenges that these people faced. So in 1 Peter, Peter actually doesn't address masters as Paul does in, in Ephesians. But Peter would have agreed with Paul, Paul's teaching from Ephesians for the masters. Christianity, what it brought, it brought this radical belief that everyone, each person, even a slave, even an orphan, even a child, is made in the image of God and has value. And so Christianity always challenged masters to treat their slaves, their servants, with dignity and respect. And so a radical shift was happening just through the Christian movement. But because Peter is addressing the issue of suffering here and mistreatment, the focus in Peter is on the slaves, how to endure, how to persevere as a Christian slave. And so Peter encourages Christian slaves to treat their masters with respect. Now let's understand here that the Bible does not condone slavery. Okay? It does not condone slavery. Peter is simply acknowledging that the reality that they're in. He's addressing them in their reality, their situation, and he's helping them to deal with injustice. And their challenges may be much bigger than our own, but I think... Here there are principles that can help us apply things in our lives, you know, how, how to deal with injustice in our everyday lives as well. And who hasn't faced some kind of injustice, maybe not to the length or the depth of a slave, but sometimes it happens, right? There is injustice done to us. And of course, in this context, we're talking about being Christian, exiles in a pagan world. You know, I was just talking to a friend that I've known for a while, and uh, he's been caring for his his aging mother who has uh, deteriorated with dementia. And uh, he's doing this full-time. And finally he made the decision, but put his mom into a home. Uh, it's only an you know, application process. It takes a long time. But to make a long story short, um, he, his family is completely against him. I mean, he's the one caring for her. They're not. They don't understand it. And so he, they're just heaping abuse on him, right? And, uh, and you know, it's difficult. This is, this is kind of a form of suffering or abuse that some people face, and uh, have you ever, you know, been falsely accused of something that you didn't do? How did that make you feel? Pretty bad, right? Pretty hurt, pretty burnt up inside. Um, if someone said a lie about you and then they post it on Facebook, then it gets even worse, right? So there, there are forms that we do face different levels of suffering, and injustice even today, even though it may not be the level that we're talking about, the slaves. Even though we live in a so-called free society, even today, many people actually work long hours for minimal wages. Right? You just scan your world, maybe even in Canada, this still happens. And how do, they, how do these people feel? They feel stuck. And they're unable to take time off to find a job or to get a break to even look for another job. This feeling of being stuck 
probably encapsulates what these slaves felt. Jesus, I feel stuck. I need your help to know what it means to serve you in my environment. Right? When their boss is impatient, unkind, or too busy to care about their needs, maybe in our modern day, we might be treated like slaves, even though we're not slaves in name. Okay? So the question is, how should we respond? So let me give you a few points. Submit and respect your superiors, even when mistreated. So we get this from verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So it sounds like there were some good bosses out there, but he's addressing those who had bad bosses. Rather than show contempt or disrespect, they are called to respect and submit to their superiors at work. But then he adds with an emphasis, not just those who are kind to you, but to those who are harsh and unjust. That's where you kind of maybe just cringe and you go, really? Right? Really? I'd rather give a boss a piece of my mind. That's our modern world speaking. Right? And if it continues, easy peasy, you say, I'm out of here. Right? You just move on. I'm not suggesting that in our modern world that people don't feel stuck with a bad boss because evidently that's really quite true. It still happens. But in the first century world, it was real. They had very little choice. They didn't have a choice. Putting up with unjust suffering may look like you're colluding with unrighteousness or wickedness, But we need to understand that for these slaves to speak out against the injustice or the abuse or to blow the whistle, uh, who do you blow the whistle to? Who's going to hear them, right? But it may cost them their job, their next meal, probably a beating, and in extreme cases, their very life. Okay, So we're talking about a serious issue here. So Peter is saying, don't take things into your own hands. Verse 20, he says this, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Right? So don't don't go the the rogue way. So let's say your boss did something you didn't like, and uh, you mouth them off. Right? Of course, our people here, we, we don't do that kind of thing here, do we? No, we don't mouth off anyone. And then you're really ticked off, and uh, you, you, you work in a store with nice things, and so you stole something. He says, well, he's going to tick me off. I'm just going to take something, because he deserves it. And then you get busted. Right? You get busted. And then you get punished. You don't get your check, whatever. Um, you know, it's probably grounds for firing, right, in our world, if you steal something. So it goes without saying, just because your boss treats you badly, poorly, this doesn't give you permission to go rogue on them. 
or to somehow punish your boss by stealing from him or her or, you know, swear at them or something. This type of behavior doesn't please God at all. Because remember, the question is how to be Christians, how to be true lights in a pagan world. Secondly, perseverance in the face of suffering pleases God. Verse 19, Peter tells us why we should persevere in the face of suffering and injustice. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Then, verse 20, last part. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Twice it says, bearing up under suffering or persevering through unjust suffering is in reality commendable before God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to bear up under the pain of injustice, bearing up under unjust suffering for a slave, you know, may have included, uh, you know, a beating, uh, insults, a vulgar tirade because your boss was in a bad mood, right? It had nothing to do with the slave, it's just the boss is the boss, and if he's tired and grumpy or had too much booze on the night before, he'll just take it on his slaves, right? That's, that's injustice, so the question is, what do we do here? Um, when I was a carpenter, um, actually just before I moved here, I was six months in carpentry for a bit, but I was setting up a stairwell um, before we installed the, the stair, stairs uh, together with my boss. And... Um, you know, I thought we got along fine. But I don't remember exactly what I did because it's too many years ago. But I, but I did something that I thought was helpful before we put the stairs in. But my boss thought otherwise. And I'm not sure if he got out of the wrong side of the bed, but my ears were filled with the line of cursing, including the name of Christ, and I was just completely stunned. Like, where did this come from? Right? And thankfully, this didn't happen very often. I'm just, you know, finding one little snippet out of my life here. I was stunned, I was confused, and of course, you're feeling hurt and shame, but you're confused because you go, what did I do? (laughs) Right? Have that feeling before? What did I do? So as a witness for Jesus at work, what is the proper response in something like that, right? So I'm sure we've been through this kind of like that scenario before. So, you know, here's your multiple choice questionnaire here. A, swear back at him. B, drop your tool belt and quit. Or C, patiently endure what just happened without revenge? Well, I think you know the answer. C is what Peter is suggesting, commending. 
Commentator Peter Davids, a biblical commentator on 1 Peter, says this, One endures pain not out of stoic apathy, but out of consciousness of God. So again, back to that phrase. What does consciousness of God really mean? Same uh, commentator, Peter David, goes on to say that what this means is that God is pleased with a Christian slave who bears up under unjust suffering, not because there is no other option or because of his optimistic character, but because they know that this pleases God and conforms to the teaching of Jesus. So I think that's helpful. Our response must conform to the teaching of Jesus. To do it Jesus' way, in other words. In other words, by enduring in my situation this swearing tirade, which lasted for, you know, two seconds, um, or any kind of injustice, is commendable before God because you know within your heart you're responding in a way that follows the example of Jesus. That's what it means to be conscious before God. So swearing back at my boss would not be compatible with the life of Jesus. It would simply be responding to a wrong with your own wrong. And you know that it just escalates worse when you do that. Peter goes on to say there is no credit or benefit to suffering for doing wrong, which for me, if I swore back, well, it wouldn't be helpful, right? It is not the way of Jesus. But if we patiently endure injustice and respond according to the way of Jesus and his teaching, we are being conscious of God. This is the way that Jesus would have done it. We are choosing God's way in the face of injustice and suffering. And so we continue in the same vein. Persevering under suffering is a way of being like Jesus. Suffering as a Christian in the face of injustice is a part of our calling to be a Christ follower. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, then it becomes very, very clear. Ah, that's what it means to be conscious of God. F.B. Meyer, I I left it on the slide for you, says this, the child of God is often called to suffer because there is nothing that will convince onlookers of the reality and power of true religion as suffering will do when it is born with Christian fortitude. I go, wow. That's pretty profound. You know, many people in our world suffer. But Peter is addressing Christians who suffer injustice. And we are called to patiently endure suffering for the long haul in a way that brings glory to God. Peter said earlier, to live good lives among the pagans, even though they accuse you of doing wrong. 
So enduring suffering is another way of doing good in a pagan world when you are accused of doing wrong. So that they may see your good deeds and, get this, to glorify God on the day that he visits us. So there's a whole missional witness element to what Peter is talking about here. He is making a profound connection to our witness to the world through suffering and through false accusations. So what F.B. Meyer is saying, we are a powerful witness for Christ even when we are shamed and doing it without retaliation. We're being Christ to the world. We are being a witness. Ultimately, when it comes to dealing with injustice, we must look no further than the way of Jesus and the way of the cross. Now, I want you to, again, listen carefully to verses 22 to 23. And it completely focuses on the way of Jesus when he suffered. And so just meditate on these words and let, let them like speak to you deeply. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We're going to let that sink in. Like a tea bag in hot water, you have to let it steep. It's like, whoa. Was Jesus falsely accused? Big time. So the question is, how did he respond? Well, we know that he did not sin. He took the high road, as we say. He did not lie. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. What did he do instead? Well, he persevered, but it says there that he entrusted himself in his father's hands. The one he knew would judge justly. He put it in God's hands. We know that before he was killed, before he was arrested, Jesus prayed this in the garden. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus' example is what we need to emulate. We patiently endure suffering, not, but not only this. Notice what Jesus does. He entrusts himself to God. And so that picture of Jesus praying in the garden is this picture of him entrusting himself to God. And so Jesus was then then arrested and he was tortured and then put to death by crucifixion. 
And it sounds to many ears as a pathetic, counterintuitive response to injustice. It sounds so backwards, doesn't it, in our world? But Peter goes on to say at the end, but the way of the cross is what brought healing and salvation to the world. It brought light to it. It shattered the darkness. And so through suffering and death, Jesus brought life and healing. Again, let me read it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, Jesus could have just wiped out the Roman government and to all those who abused him. Take that. You got what you deserved. But he chose love instead. He remained silent and endured suffering, and then he died. Jesus' suffering and death brought healing, reconciliation, forgiveness, returning lost souls to the shepherd of their souls. That's all of us, right? I mean, this is the profound gospel story. Death in the face of injustice brought us life. And so in a similar way, Peter is saying, when we follow Jesus' own example of endearing false accusation and suffering, dying to ourselves and living with godly character and then entrusting ourselves to God, our prayer is that unbelievers will see Jesus living in us with the hope that one day that they would give glory to God. There is power and endurance in the face of suffering. Why are we doing it? We're doing it out of love for the boss that is treating us badly because God so loves them and wants them saved too. So let me wrap this up. I leave you kind of a take-home. I know there's lots here, but I think what I want you to focus on is this part of what Jesus did. He entrusted himself to the Father in the face of suffering. And so what I picture is when you face injustice, our proper response should really be getting down on our knees. Right? I mean, you can take that literally or symbolically, but getting down on our knees and doing what Jesus did in the garden and trusting yourself to Jesus and the pain that you feel. I mean, he felt agony. This is what it means to be conscious of our Lord and God. In the face of injustice and wrongs against us, bring your hurt and your broken spirit to the foot of the cross. If anyone understands your pain, 
it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? And then as you come to him, when you entrust in himself to him, what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I do not have the power within me. And I need your strength to act with courage and integrity. I can't do this in my power. Only through the power that you give me. Entrust ourselves into the Lord's hands. So let me leave you with another passage, and uh, this, this is a gooder, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. I don't have it on the screen, but let me read it to you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Well, there it is. Right? Always being conscious of what God did for us. Always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Resurrection. And so let me challenge you. May your lives be shaped by the way of the cross of Jesus. May we pray that we live our lives in the face of injustice and suffering through the way of the cross. That is the example that Jesus lives for us. And not only does he give us an example, he gives us his Holy Spirit, right, to empower us to help us. So I'm going to invite the worship team and um, invite you to respond in worship as we consider what was said. And after um, the worship song is sung, I'm just going to come back and I have a, a special announcement to make. And then after that, Calvin will close us in prayer. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan. Um, so the closing song that we're going to sing uh, might be familiar to some of you, might not. Uh, so it is new, uh, but the words aren't new. Um, it is the priestly blessing from Numbers. And uh, yeah, it's a very good thing to remember and just and to, to keep in mind. So, But I'll, let me just read you the verses from Numbers. Uh, so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So if you'd like to stand or sit, please join us as we sing those words.
shine upon you, be gracious to you, Lord, turn his face toward you. probably um, no appropriate time for me to say what I'm going to say this morning, but so I wrote it down so I don't lose it, but I just want to say it's been my joy and privilege of being your pastor for nearly 17 years, and with sadness, I informed my elders board in January, I wanted to give them time that this would be my last year at Claremont. And uh, you need to know that my decision was not the result of anything bad at all. Uh, In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. And so this past January, uh, sorry, December, um, through a rich and um, emotional conversation with the Lord and many other indicators along the way, I strongly sense the Lord releasing us from our time and ministry here at Claremont. And I think a big consideration um, was to be closer to our children in Calgary and Cheryl's family in Edmonton. My mother, my mother lives in Calgary and uh, she's near 94 years old and um, we just felt that the timing to be by her side closer was proper. The Lord said to me, it's okay to desire to be closer to your family that you love. And I bless you with this. So when I told Cheryl about what I was sensing from the Lord Uh, we realized that God was leading us in the same direction because she said to me, I have felt exactly the same. And so we felt affirmed by the Spirit and have been guided by God's peace since then, although it's not easy when I see your faces all the time. We know that as we go, uh, 17 years is, is a long time. Um, so it won't be easy. 
But even so, I just feel that with a change in pastoral leadership, uh, when it is of the Lord, uh, a reset actually can be beneficial for the church. And uh, we're praying towards that end. And I believe the change will also be good for me in a new, um, new challenge for myself. So where will we be going on from here? Um, we don't know exactly where we will be. All I can tell you that I'm currently in advanced conversations with the church. And I'm sure the Lord in his good time uh, will make it clear to us in the months ahead. And I'll, of course, let you know about that. Um, I want to, to let everyone know with the blessing of the elders board um, to do it now because I wanted to be fair to this congregation to give you time to pray, mostly, and to plan and seek the Lord's face about the future of our church. In the meantime, we will still be here um, with you until at least the end of June. Um, a little murky in terms of when we'll set sails in the southern direction. So you need to know that our decision um, comes with a lot of emotion and sadness because, uh, goodness, 17 years of relationships and friendships is a long time. Uh, we, we had thought we might even just retire here in Claremont, finish it out, but it wasn't to be so. But it's sad and hard because you are, to us, a wonderful and beautiful family. In fact, we consider our years at Claremont as some of the most special years of our lives. So I think I'm going to stop there before, you know what. So I'm just going to call on Calvin, and uh, he's going to just maybe say a few words and, uh, and close in prayer. But as he comes, I just want to read a passage, um, Romans 11, <clears throat> that will help us focus on the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> it's a passage that has spoken to me. It goes like this, Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him all our things are all things. And to him that is Jesus, to be glory forever. Amen. Those verses help me because they're that direction. Right? So, Calvin? Stan, for sharing. Um, yeah, and I just want to say, you know, as an elders board, you know, we're sad to see Dan and Cheryl go. You know, this wasn't uh, something that we were like 
yeah, finally, right? Oh, it's the opposite for us. And, uh, but at the same time, as we listen to them and as we hear their heart and their story and all their family in Calgary and his mom at 94 and some of the challenges she's going through, you know, one thing I said was like, man, if I was in your shoes, I'd want to be, I'd want to be closer to, right? So we get it. And yeah, it's, sure, it's hard on our side too, but, you know, we want to thank them and rejoice with them on the ministry that uh, God, for the time that he's put them here. And uh, we know that he's a good God and he has good things for us, you know. And uh, so even though this is a hard transition, um, we know God is with us. Um, so yeah, it is, I mean, it's going to take some time to, you know, grieve and process and get through all that. But at the same time, I, I think it, uh, it can be a celebration uh, as well to send them off well and uh, to see what God has for us. You know, as I, as I was been praying through some of this, as Dan said, um, we as elders knew for the last little while already. And, uh, you know, I woke up the other day from a dream that uh, was very real. And uh, I was like walking in almost like this cave, you know, and it was a little bit dark. And uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like clouds, you know, it was like a little bit brooding and you kind of felt like you had to hunch over to walk and, uh, you know, kind of a little bit, not scary, but just a little bit dark. And uh, as I walked forward, it was like you walked into this huge cave and then these clouds kind of went lighter. And as you walked further, they went wider and they went higher and they went brighter and lighter. And as we went walking, um, it was uh, just this amazing sense. And I just remember having this sense of awe of being in like this huge, huge, amazing cave type of, well, it wasn't actually a cave anymore, but this huge, amazing sky that was bright and glorious. And it was just this incredible feeling of just, wow, this is amazing. And uh, when I woke up, I was like, hmm, that was interesting. And as I prayed about it, I just felt God saying, you know what, as you pursue me, as you go deeper with me, I will take you to some incredible places, and I will walk with you, and I will bring you through these places. So even though it feels maybe a little bit shadowy and a little bit tricky in places, it was just a challenge that as you lean into me and as you follow me, I will take you into some awesome places. And so I was encouraged by that. And uh, I just want to read Psalm 121 before I pray. And uh, you probably know it well. I've heard it. If once I read it, you'll know it. A song of ascents as the pilgrims go to Jerusalem. It's only eight verses, but I think it applies to us today too. I look up to the mountains, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord watches over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that you know all of our steps, and I thank you that even as Psalm 121 says, that you watch over us um, as we come, as we go, and that you watch over us as individuals and over us as a church. And Lord, we thank you that you know our steps. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for Dan and Cheryl. We thank you for their rich ministry here. And we thank you for the good things you have planned for them, for us as a church. And so Lord, I just pray in this time that we would seek you, that we would lean into you, and that as we lean deeper into you, Lord, that you would bring us to the places you have planned for us. So Lord, I just pray that you would be with our hearts as we grieve, as we process, and Lord, as we lean into you and as we spend time with you, Lord, may you just take us by the hand and bring us to those green meadows that you have for us, those bright open spaces. And Lord, I just pray that we'd be a a people in a church that prays and leans into you. And so we just pray a blessing on Dan and Cheryl and just to direct their steps, to make their path clear, and for us as a church and as a church family here as well. And so Lord, just thank you that you are our rock and that we can put our trust in you and you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, as elders like Henry and 